So this morning, this occasion to reflect, contemplate our ability to be the witness rather than the person, the personality, the the doer, the thinker, the seer, the hearer, the taster, the smeller, the feeler. Usually the ego depends on a sense of a separate self, of our individuality. We, we're, the, we're the doers, the, the seers, the thinkers. We see everything in terms of the limitation of the human form that we have, the body. We see thinking as, as a kind of personal ability, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. But in this reflective style, instead of assuming, because this is an assumption, assumption you make that you are this mortal limited form, that's an assumption you make. It's not Dhamma, that's not the way it is. It's what we tend to believe. But now we're coming from the awareness level, Sati Sampatanya, Sati Panya, intuitive awareness, wisdom. So at first, like on this retreat, the main point of it is to plant this seed in, in your minds, you know, to encourage you, the question, what are, what am I really, you know? Cause we, we operate from habit patterns of just assumptions, beliefs that we've acquired, all limitations. <clears throat> And the Buddhist approach, when he sat under the Bodhi tree in Bodhgaya, you know, he'd been an ascetic for six years, and according to the scriptures, was uh, outdid all his teachers in meditation practices and samatha concentration practices. But still, the in concentration practices, such as uh, samatha, is that we're going out towards objects and concentrating on objects that we see or think. We can do mantras, chanting, Casinas, all kinds of ways of, of, uh, developing samadhi or con- concentration practices that are tranquil, refined, pleasant. 
But the basic delusion has not been erased, has not been confronted in any way. And this is what the ascetic Gotama at that time, why he, he went off by himself from his colleagues, from his friends, And then this symbol of sitting under the Bodhi tree. And reflecting on the way it is. So uh, sitting under the Bodhi tree is a symbol, a metaphor for being aware not trying to concentrate on an object anymore, but just open attention. Awareness of the way it is. And so in the scriptures, all the forces of Mara came to delude him. And they have in pictorial images of everything that is deluding, attractive or frightening coming to the ascetic Gotama, tempting, trying to, to convince him of the illusory condition realm. But he witnessed it. And this is what we're going through on this retreat, is, is the illusions of Mara, the thoughts you have, the fears, the, the, the emotions that arise, the memories that come and go. And you're taking the Buddha position under the Bodhi tree of awareness. What arises ceases, like all the forces of Mara. They, if they come, they go. They're impermanent. They have no real substance, no no kind of heart or core reality. They're not permanent beings or conditions. So they're sankharas, con conditions, phenomena. They arise and cease, they come and go. So when you let things go, let the everything go, what doesn't go is awareness. So the emotions, happy emotions, inspired or depressed, doubting, confused, angry, greedy. These are mental states, emotional states that come and go. And you're taking the position of Bhutto, the witness of the presence and absence of Mara. So the word Mara is a Pali word for, you know, for these delusions. And then as a Puto witness, you're, you're not these delusions. It's like, uh, seeing, taking this Puto position, you're, <clears throat> your relationship to the emotions you're experiencing, to the thoughts, the memories, physical sensations, you're saying, this is not what you are. 
you can say to yourself, I'm not this, Mara. Or in the scriptures, they translated the Buddha would say, I know you, Mara. So it's this knowing. It's not getting rid of Mara or killing Mara. Trying to get rid of Mara, it's, I know you. I know what you are, your condition, your sankara. So this is knowing, and I said before, you know, the consciousness, its its whole function is knowing. It's, it's not knowing about things. It's not a discriminating knowing about what's right or wrong, good or bad. It's knowing. It's like this. Maras are like this. Greed, hatred, delusion, come and go, they're like this. But you remain the witness, the puto, observing the presence and the absence. So like anger, anger arises, you're, you're aware the presence of anger is like this. I know you, Mara. And then anger ceases, and the absence of anger is like this. So the constant, the, the stability, the unshakability of consciousness, of mindfulness, is your real refuge. You know, that's what you can always trust or depend on no matter what is happening. Uh, internally in your mind or externally in the worldly conditions as they move and change according to other conditions. So like on this retreat, the encouragement of noble silence to because it is a, a superb opportunity to cultivate, to experiment with this, this way. This is not a social occasion. We're not here to entertain each other or socialize, but to support each other in this endeavor to, to be, you know, to see things in a different way than the usual self-centered, worldly conditioned way that we tend to view ourselves, the people around us, the world we live in.
So like this sense of planting seeds, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. What I'm saying, the way I talk, the teaching is a challenge to the worldly view. The worldly view, modern life, is I'm a separate individual, you know. in a world of material objects that are separate from me. And the materialist, materialist view of life is always in believing in material as our reality. The material world is the real world. And then the assumption that consciousness comes out of the material world. First the there's the planet and the material, the rocks, the mountains, and so forth. And then consciousness comes out of that. That is merely theory. That is hearsay. That cannot be proved, proven in any way. And yet, modern attitudes, modern civilizations operate from that belief unquestioningly. So you, you read in news or in magazines about scientists or psychologists trying to figure out what consciousness is. Can you define it? You know, is it, is it in the brain? Is it the brain that's, that is the center of consciousness? Can consciousness appear and arise out of rocks and mountains and planet Earth, the sun and moon? Is consciousness just some, some kind of thing that comes after the material realm that we see, that we can visually observe, which seems very solid and firm, where consciousness Is what we are, but we, we don't, we've never investigated it. We've never looked at it in any way other than just in personal terms. Like my, my cultural conditioning of being American and my generation was very much one based on uh, the importance of being an individual, self-expression, my personal rights, you know, brought up with this idea of I have rights as a, as a individual person. Individuality was highly praised to be a special person. Even though the ideal is that we're all equal, everybody's equal, but you, but you want to be special more than equal. So equality is an ideal. And then the message you get through your parents, through the society, through your education is, you know, trying to be special. You're not trying to be equal. You're trying to be the winner or the, get the prize or the best. Or you're, then, then you, you can't be the best and you're the loser.
So these are all thoughts and images that we create through these assumptions that that all I am is this this form based on ideals of equality, but the reality of social conditioning is not about trying to be equal, but of trying to be better than somebody else. Self-expression, unique qualities, individuality. Now these, these kind of attitudes, you know, they're inculcated into us. We're not born with this, with these assumptions. But when we're born, we're conscious. Newborn babies fully conscious. It doesn't think of itself as an individual or a boy or a girl. Consciousness has no gender. It's not about individuality or being special. Consciousness is not special. Some people have better consciousness or more of it than others. That's that's thinking again. That's dividing, separating, making it complicated. But just the reality of here and now, knowing you're conscious, do you need a psychologist or a scientist to tell you what consciousness is? Do you need to read it in a, in a dictionary, a def- definition of consciousness, or what Freud or Jung or scientists of the past or the Greek philosophers or, you know, do we need to define consciousness, what other people have said about it? We can see scientists as being, you know, experts you know, researching, looking, but modern scientists are always looking outward towards objects. So they examine the material world. And when they try to examine consciousness, how do you do that when that's what you are? Do you need to find it? Is it an object that you can, you know, verify? Is it, how do you know it's, can you prove that consciousness is limited to your brain? Or that it is limited to your form inside your physical body, the form of your, of your body? When, when we experience consciousness, the senses operate through consciousness. So when we see objects, they're in consciousness. So the bodies are in consciousness. The objects that we see, the objects of the senses, are in consciousness. This you can realize. You're not making it up. You're just investigating for yourself to to look at it from this point here and now you know you're conscious the senses when we you know operate through consciousness
But the senses themselves are not conscious in, independently. It's like the, you know, like light, the sunlight. Because our senses can deteriorate, like vision or hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. We can become paralyzed. We, you know, though in old age, you know, I find my senses fading away. You know, vision's not very good. Like I can, I can see the ones in the front row. I can tell who they are, but beyond that, I. The more I can't see features at a distance. I have to have eye injections every six weeks to keep my left eye from going blind. This is the the limitation of eyes, aren't they? They're they're sankaras. Are you, your eyes, or can, you know, can you, you can, we don't want, we want a perfect vision until we die at a hundred years old. You know, the ego sense wants to be perfectly healthy and die at a hundred. But, um, that's wishful thinking because sankaras are subject to change. They're not perfect. Their very, their nature is imperfect. They, they arise and cease, they begin and end, they, they develop and then they degenerate. That's the nature of sankharas. But what isn't sankara is consciousness. So hearing is sankara. It can, you find yourself I have to wear hearing aids now in order to hear people. So the hearing, as you get older, the senses lose their accuracy. The body gets all kind of wrinkled and frail. And that's the nature of it. What doesn't get wrinkled and frail or lose its its ability is consciousness. Or awareness. So consciousness, awareness, mindfulness, they're all the same thing. Dhamma, Apparent here and now, things arise and cease in consciousness. So you, you know, you're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. Happen, you know, but they're all, you know, as you take the puto position, the awareness position, the witnessing position of puto. Then you observe the changingness. You know, most of us, before we met Buddha Dhamma, never 
witness, never, you know, even though we experience change all from the beginning of our lives to the point where before we encountered Buddha's teaching, never thought of things in terms of all sankharas are impermanent. And we went to university educations and so forth, taking psychology courses, and nobody ever mentions all conditions are impermanent. So there's this assumption, you know, that happiness depends on finding conditions that are permanent. Permanent stability, permanent love relationship, permanent lifestyle that won't change, that you, your, you know, your life will be, if you have a lot of money, permanent amount of money in the bank, you'll be happy. The idea that, that, you know, that wealth is impermanent, self is impermanent, senses are impermanent, And what is aware, at this very moment, what is aware of impermanence is awareness. So the Buddha called his teaching a handful of leaves. Now he's taking just a handful of leaves to to be able to know what all the leaves in the forest are like. So if you know, if we think we can count all the leaves in the forest, you know, that'd be a total waste of a lifetime, wouldn't it? Because we couldn't keep track. We don't need to know all the sankharas that exist, that arise and cease, in their different manifestations, qualities, just the sankharas that we're experiencing, the bodies that are sitting here, is enough to know. You know, because sankharas all have the same characteristic, anicca, dukkha, anatta. They're impermanent, they're unsatisfactory, they're not self. So to know what leaves are in a forest, you just pick up a handful and then there's five or six leaves, that's enough to understand the nature of leaves. So this is where the the Buddha's teaching is one, as I've said before, makes it, he made it very simple for us. Because before, as a personality, I would be foolish enough to try to count all the leaves in the forest. Like acquiring endless knowledge, this is an information age, you know, through the internet, through technology, we we can acquire information easily just on an iPad or a computer. But there's no end to it, is there? It's It's like trying to count all the leaves in the forest to acquire all the knowledge, worldly knowledge is impossible for any of us.
But real knowledge is awareness. That's the knowing, the way it is. This is, this is intuitive knowing. It's not knowing about what leaves look like or all the information you can acquire through the internet or through modern education. That's acquired knowledge. That's not knowing. It's knowing about. You can know about art, history, science, psychology. But the reality of our lives is that this knowing isn't knowing about. It's, it's here and now. It's mindfulness. And if we stop just trying to know about everything that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, and feel, and start observing the way it is, then we begin to know all conditions are impermanent. It isn't just a belief, some kind of Buddhist, Buddhist must believe that all conditions are impermanent. It's not a doctrine. The three characteristics of conditioned phenomena, isn't it? Trilakana. Three characteristics of everything that we see, see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think is impermanent. Anicca, impermanent, dukkha, unsatisfactory, anatta, non-self. In English, grammar and so forth it lends itself to Dhamma explanations because like the, being the knowing is mindfulness, not becoming a knower, trying to think of ourselves as a knower. Consciousness is mine and it's, it's knowing. And, it still has this sense of individuality, of separation. But knowing is the reality of this moment. And there's knowing, isn't it? You're knowing what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're hearing. It's like this. It's not knowing about it. It's not analyzing, judging, rationalizing, explaining. It's just pure unadulterated knowing is consciousness. So that's why asking you if you're conscious, you know immediately you are. That's not a personal ability, you know, it's not like, because each one of us, if I asked each one of you in this room if you're conscious, you'd, every, everyone would have to say yes because that's direct knowing.
it's not because you're a personality or a separate person. To create the separation, you have to think. I remember in my experience of practice years ago, I kept thinking if if I stop thinking, where where does Ajahn Sumedho arise and cease? Is Ajahn Sumedho Ajahn Sumedho, 24-7. Is, is Ajahn Sumedho, when he's asleep in his kuti, is he still Ajahn Sumedho? Because these are words that are given these names. So I just, you know, reflecting on this. When I'm asleep in my kuti, am I still Ajahn Sumedho? Or when I'm not thinking I'm Ajahn Sumedho, am I still Ajahn Sumedho? Then I began to have insight into realizing the name that, that one uses is acquired knowledge. What remains constant is awareness. You know, and then the names, whether it's the uh, a Christian name that I was given the name Robert is before I became a Buddhist. But that, that was something given to me. I had no choice. My parents chose it. So is that what I am? A name? Am I Robert or Ajahn Sumato? I've recently acquired a new name. <laughs> So, I mean, these names are, you know, they're all quite nice. I don't know a version of any of them. But, but is that really what I am? And then I began to see how I create myself, you know, the sense of my self-importance. You have a, a title called Ajahn or something like that, and, you know, Usually you don't get called Ajahn until you have ten pansas and so this, this identity with these titles, being a professor or a doctor, being somebody special. Now the ego, you know, grasps these these titles, these roles in society. But what is our real nature is awareness that doesn't have a title. But it's the reality that we're experiencing here and now. And it's not personal. It's not like separate, my consciousness, your consciousness. Unless we believe that, you know, we can think that, that I'm, I have a separate consciousness from Ajahn Soko. And so then, that, that's a thought, isn't it? I'm thinking, I create that, you know, he, his consciousness is 
personal and my consciousness is is my person personality that's thinking that's proliferating called conceptual proliferation but when I when there's pure consciousness it isn't Ajahnas Sokla Samedo, it's intuitive awareness, it's Dhamma, it's reality. The same with all of us, you know, we can, through the sensory conditions that we have, you know, like looking, seeing, looking out at a room filled with people, with meditators, everything looks separate. Because that's what seeing does, it's, it's it tends to create the sense of the I and the object of the I. So the consciousness kind of seems to go out to the objects, which seem separate. But in ultimate reality, there's no separation. Now this is a more intuitive insight because when you think about it, you get very confused because it all seems separate. You know, when our visuals see, seeing you as objects, it's everybody, you all look separate from me. But then you change from seeing, you know, attachment to the Assumptions you make through, through visual observation, through seeing, through sight, to just awareness. And that's unitive. It's not separate, it doesn't separate. The senses separate. What you hear, my voice, it's separate from you and something you hear, and so forth. So, sensory awareness, sensory consciousness tends to create this materialist view of the world is separate out there and, and, and oneself as a, as the subject that's separate from the object. In intuitive awareness, there's only the awareness, Dhamma, perfect, complete, here and now. And this is where fear ends, you know, because as long as there's this sense of separateness, individuality, in a, in a vast world universe out there. Then, and then the thinking pattern, the imagination can create all kinds of scenarios of, to be frightened. Right now in just daily news, it's very frightening, you know, with climate change and overpopulation and the political 
confusion that exists everywhere. You know, when we think about the future, it looks pretty grim, you know, like pretty scary. So we imagine a future where we, we don't see the, the perfection that exists in the, in the wholeness of Dhamma. So the like liberation or enlightenment is, is realizing the true nature, awakening to reality, awakening to Dhamma. In terms of our relationship to the condition realm, to our bodies, to the, the world, the society that we live in, it's based on wisdom and fearlessness and understanding rather than on separation, love, hate, like, dislike, fear about the future, resentments of the past. And one time in, when I said Wat Pong in the early years of monastic life, I, I was sitting in my kuti and I started thinking about things that happened to me 20 years before and I got very angry. So just by the resentments of previous injustices, unfairnesses of that of your past, you can create anger in the present. And then I reflected, is, is this anger that I'm experiencing anything to do with the present situation? You know, Lumpur Cha, good teacher, generous lay people, good Sangha. And I, the, the suffering I was creating, the anger I was experiencing, was based on attachment to memories from the past that happened 20 years before. Suddenly, this is a way to reflect, you know, this is... That kind of anger is neurotic, isn't it? It's it's not based on anything print like somebody is trying to shoot you or, you know, there's a tiger waiting outside your kuti to attack, it's not, it's not an immediate threat, but you recognize how much we suffer through this thinking of resentments. There's a lot to resent in anybody's life. Even though we, we believe life should be fair, there should be fairness in society, in relationships. This idea of fairness is an ideal again. Sometimes life is fair, sometimes it's not. You can't demand fairness. You know, it's, it's an ideal, a good ideal. But to anyone's life, no matter how privileged your background is or un, unprivileged, 
we have to deal with a lot of unfairness, injustice, things to resent in the present moment. To blame, to, to feel anger and want to seek revenge, want to get even, or just get caught in angry moods, resentful moods in the present. But in the present moment, there's, you know, this, it's like this, there's awareness. If you're angry, then that is, you're aware of anger as a condition. You don't grasp it, you let it go. If you grasp it, then you become an angry person. But if you leave it alone, or if you're attached to the anger and you see what you're doing, let it go. The insight into the second noble truth is to let go. Let it go, don't hold on, don't grasp it, or don't try to get rid of it. Just relax and let it be and it ceases. The future is unknown, you know, tomorrow we are, we, we assume, we imagine that tomorrow will be very much like today here at Putra Resort on this retreat and so forth. So, but tomorrow never comes, either. it's always here and now. So at this point when we're conscious, aware here and now, tomorrow is an imagined thing. We imagine, we, and imagination can take any form. So the future, for the world, for society, for Thailand, for whatever, is we can imagine anything, success, failure, abundance, poverty, war, peace, you know, whatever you, you imagine, you can project into the future. So the future doesn't ever really happen because it's images that we create in the present. So this, the present is always where experience is. It's here and now, it's like this. It's the way it is, so it's not, the way it is is not a kind of passive resignation. You know, it's not like, well, that's the way it is in a kind of negative state. When we say, it's like this, it's not a kind of negative resignation to misery, but it's a recognition at this moment, it can only be this way, whatever, your physical body, your, your emotional experience, your thoughts, Memories are like this, they're the way they are, they arise and cease. So, benyang ni eng, or the way it is, or it's like this. It's 
is is not something to you know it's a, a way of thinking that is non-judgmental but acknowledging at this moment it can only be this way you can only feel like this but this awareness whatever you're feeling you're aware of a feeling so take your stand with the awareness rather than with the feeling this is the whole point of this retreat for you to to see that you're not the feeling you're not the physical body you're not the personality the memory the emotion that these conditions come and go and change like the seasons of the year the time of day but what remains constant unshakable trustworthy is here and now that you don't create or have to get hold of it's just to recognize the power of mindfulness <laughs>